You're listening to This Is Us podcast with Joanne Philomena from Joanne the Life Coach podcast, author of Widowed. This Is Us season one, episode four is titled The Pool. The original air date was October 18th, 2016. And this one again was directed by John Recrea and Glenn Ficarra. The writers on this one, previously, it has always been just headed up with Dan Fogelman. He's sharing byline on this one with Donald Todd. So we've brought a new writer into the mix. I'm joined today by my co-host, Angela Loria, who is my publishing mentor, president and founder of the Author Incubator, publisher at Difference Press, and also the publisher of my book, Widowed. And I am so thrilled that you're doing this with me, Angela. Oh, I'm so excited. Any opportunity to talk about This Is Us, I am all in. All in, all in. Um, And I want everybody to know before we even get started, if you have ever even thought you want, you might want to write a book or people have told you you should be writing a book, you need to go look up Angela Loria at the Author Incubator. And we'll get that information to you at the end of the podcast. But absolutely. Okay. Well, we're just going to roll right into this because we opened back in about the 1980s. This is back when they're eight years old again. And it opens with the boys arguing at the kitchen table over a Rubik's Cube while Jack is working to fix the AC. And Randall grabs the Rubik's Cube Kevin says, give it back. Rebecca walks over to take the Rubik's Cube and the argument, and it's already been completed by Randall. That Randall, there's something special about him. No kidding. And she says, you did this, and Kevin wails, you're supposed to be yelling at him. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Jack comes down in the T-shirt that Rebecca hates. And says it makes him think of sun because they're going to the pool. And he calls Kate and says, Kate, get in here and strut your stuff, young lady. And she proudly comes in wearing her Care Bears bikini. Mm. How cute was that, Angela? It was so sweet. I totally like that was the dad I always wanted. Like he was so proud of her and she was so proud of that bikini and they were both beaming yeah. Like I had oh, a yeah. cheer bear. Did you ever have a care bear? Was that before your time? That was before my time. Well, I, I, I think wait, Kate no, and I. Not before my time, Angela. After. after my time. That was after your time. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was a care bear girl. I had a cheer bear. And I would have killed for that bikini, except for <laughs> I never would have been brave enough to wear it. No. No way. No way. Randall begs for the neighborhood pool with the diving board. Apparently there's two swimming pools and he has a particular one he wants to go to. So Jack declares it's a pool vacation for them. He says, we just need a day to relax. And she starts laughing and the scene cuts to the noisy pool full of shrieking kids. (laughs) Right. And she's like, um, does this seem relaxing? I was yeah. like, oh my God, I, community right. pools are the least relaxing spot, I think, in America. I know. It was hilarious. I, I really love that cut. I love some of the transitions it. they yeah. do on this show. We skip over to Randall's house where they're doing the girl's hair. And the little one wants grandpa to do hers. And now they're referring to him as grandpa. 
So clearly at the end of the previous episode, Randall had told William, I'm going to let the girls know who you are. And that happened. (laughs) Yeah. Apparently that happened. Um, The girls ask about a scar on his arm and he says he got the scar fighting for busing like a a rock or a bottle in 1967. Um, He was working with the Urban League. Mm hmm. And as Beth is asking him about that, Randall kind of has a look, you know, like this is something that that kind of made him draw back a little bit. I was so surprised to see that. Well, and I think the look on the, you know, Beth and the girls' faces were really interesting because they were super impressed and wanted to hear more. And I don't, I didn't get the feeling Randall wanted him to tell the whole story. Yeah, (laughs) I didn't get it either. I didn't get it either. And then um, Kevin calls, FaceTime on the iPad. Randall hands him off to the girls. And then he sees William out front with a police officer. And so he closes up the iPad, rushes out front. The local officer says there was a report of loitering. And you see the neighbor couple coming down their drive. And the officer asks Randall, he's with you, sir. And the neighbors are saying, we're so sorry, we didn't know. (laughs) And as they're walking off after this little confrontation with the police officer, Randall says, we're going to get you some new clothes. Mm -hmm. And he does. He takes him shopping. William kind of balks at the $100 pants. Randall says, that's what they You'll get the flat front chinos. (laughs) Yeah, they'll, they'll look good on you. Randall brings up what happened that morning. And that face and says, you didn't like me apologizing for you. Would you have been happy if I made a big scene? Mm. Right. And I think now we're starting to see some attitude coming out from Randall after learning that morning that his dad worked with the Urban League. Yeah, it's all about like, what is it to be black when you've been raised as not just in a white family, not just in a white family in the 80s, but as a triplet with two white triplets in the threesome. Right. Right. right? So he's not just raised by a white family. If you're a triplet, part of him is white and part of him is black. That scene in the dressing room where he has experienced these microaggressions as a black man and can acknowledge them and speak them. Right. He says, oh, don't, you know, he doesn't call him dad, but, um, you know, don't think that just because I was raised by this white family that I have white privilege. Like, here are all the things I've experienced. Exactly. Yeah. He tells him. So powerful. Growing up in a white house and that his dad doesn't, he he thinks his dad doesn't, thinks he doesn't live in a black man's world. Mm Mm-hmm. That's when he starts telling him all the small things he's had to overlook every day as a black man. Right? Yeah, that was So they have that little bit of confrontation there. Um, But I think it's so about being conflicted because it's like, when his dad's talking about fighting with the Urban League, why wouldn't he have been so proud and excited and curious? But he wasn't. But And yet, I'm sure part of him was. So it's this, like, how is he betraying his family by accepting this new, this new person in his life. And I don't know if Randall is 
envious that his father was able to do those yeah, things or if it really pisses him off that his father did those things. Yeah. You know, cause he sounds pissed off about it. Right. When, when he kind of goes and recollects what happened that morning and he says, look, you know, that man, he runs an insurance agency. She collects owls. Mm. Would you have been happier if they turned a hose on us? Mm. You know, <laughs> and William says, have you ever had a hose turned on you? Mm. It hurts. Um, and that's when Randall just kind of comes a little unglued about it. We go from this scene to Kate and Toby at lunch. <laughs> and he says he hates kale. And baby arugula is just as bad it's as just grown as up. Bad as grown up arugula. <laughs> I have I to say, I agree. Yeah, yeah. I'm but not a fan. I look at that too, and they are deep into calorie counting. Oh my goodness. Right. And Toby insists on paying the check, saying she's unemployed and he doesn't think she would do well with begging. Mm. And she says, no one would be sympathetic if I was holding up a sign that said hungry. Mm. You know, and he said, good one, which, you know, Angela, that gets to me a little bit. It's like the writers keep slipping in these little fat jokes that I don't know that Kate would really say. Hmm. I mean, what do you think about her constantly making, um, what I want to say, she, she makes those self, de 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 what's the word, Angela? Depreciating. Yeah, Self-depreciating mm -hmm. remarks like that. Self-deprecating. Self-deprecating. Thank you. I knew I'd get there. Yeah, but here, so here's the thing. I don't, I don't know. I didn't want anyone to know. I, I probably weighed about what Kate weighs. Yeah. But I didn't want anyone to know. So I would never talk about my weight and I would hope it wouldn't come up. Like I would just hope that I would fit in the booth at the diner yeah. so we wouldn't have to ask for a table. Like I would just hope it wouldn't come up. But I think her relationship with Toby, especially how they met, like I never had any relationship, friendship or romantic relationship mm -hmm. where we could actually talk about the fact our weight was a problem. Yeah, yeah. So I actually think there might be something to this about like, at least it's not a lie or something she has to hide from him. And I know if you haven't been overweight, it sounds crazy to think, how could Kate hide her weight? <laughs> right. But, um, but we all think we do. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. Or at least I think I did. Yeah. Or I thought I did. If me in public what I weigh, I don't want to say it. Like, they can't right. they look at me and pretty much guess, you know. But, right. <laughs> you, you know, you just don't want to publicly acknowledge that. Right. I don't even think I wanted to privately acknowledge it, but I yeah. do think there's something liberating about her relationship with Toby and like the, you know, take me or leave me, but I'm not going to pretend, Yeah. you know, I'm someone I'm not. So. Well, we would think so, but that's until Toby says he's going to go to the bathroom before they leave. And she looks up to see him talking to this gorgeous woman who gives him a hug. Mm. Ah. And when he comes, she sure was pretty. She was really pretty. And when he returns, Kate says, who was that? And he says, that's my ex. And she starts laughing like it's a joke and then realizes he's serious. That's really his ex. And you can immediately see Kate comparing herself to this beautiful, slender ex-wife. Like, how does this add up? 
Yeah, f- and fancy. Yeah. Like, she wasn't, like, just, like, thin and scruffy or something. Oh, no, like, she, she was glam. <laughs> she was definitely glam. And I know I should know this, but I, I don't know the name of the actress who plays Kate. Um, but I, I just have to say, the the way she communicated that feeling of just total shame and humiliation in that moment when she realizes he was married to someone who looked like that, yeah. I could feel it. Right. You know, I right. just, like, oh, she I did. could feel every, like, almost make me Chrissy Metz, yeah, I guess Chrissy is her Metz. name. Never seen her before. Don't know who she is. But I just feel everything she feels. I just yeah. think she is such a great actress. She is good. And she really conveyed it in that scene because I felt it too. I felt mm. it too when she saw this gorgeous woman hugging him. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And they do this beautiful cutaway from that to her being eight years old at the pool, mm-hmm. strutting around like a supermodel and posing. And her mom is like saying kind of, you know, honey, sit down, honey, sit down, because her mother's afraid that she's going to get comments that are going to hurt her feelings doing that. Right. Yeah. Um, Kevin is complaining he doesn't like swimming. And his mom says, stay in the shallow end and Randall will stay with you. And he says, I don't like Randall either. (laughs) So... Clearly, the boys do not have a good relationship. I mean, they've shown that in every episode up to this one. Even when they were little guys, they did not get along. They Very competitive. and Yeah. Yeah. Just and Kevin strange. is always, like, terribly mean about Randall. Mm-hmm. Um, Rebecca's putting sunscreen on Randall, who asked if he even needs it. Hmm. And then the kids all run off and Rebecca's trying to call after Kate saying, are you sure you don't want to put a shirt on? And she tells Jack, people are staring at her in that suit and some jerky kid will say something. And Jack is saying, hey, it's baby fat. Don't worry. She's only eight. That line so got me. I can remember at eight years old hearing I was at a pool Um, I was at across the street at our neighbor's house at a pool. And I remember hearing my parents talking with the other parents about whether it was still baby fat. Yeah. And I, I was like maybe 10 feet away and the conversation was like, no, it's just baby fat. Don't worry about it. Oh, I don't think it's baby fat. She's eight years old. And that was the exact word they used. So that scene totally hit me. That's kind of devastating. That's about Mm. the age where my mother was extremely obese. And at a time when there weren't many obese people around, not in our community, it wasn't a problem. Like the only people that were, I ever had seen who were as fat as my mother were the fat lady in the circus cartoons. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I was out front playing. I think I was probably in a little short set that was like from the previous summer. So I was kind of outgrowing it. Mm-hmm. And my neighbor watering his lawn said, look at that stomach. You're, you're turning out just like your mom. Wow. And I turned and ran into the house. I know my cheeks were like on fire. And my mom said, what's wrong, Jojo? And I said nothing and ran to my room. 
because I, if I knew if I told her what he said, it would hurt her feelings. You know, it's like, right. I didn't want her to, right. to know that I knew she was fat. <laughs> you know, it's that same ridiculous thing where, you know, there's somebody who weighed almost 400 pounds and right. I didn't want to acknowledge to her that I knew she was fat. Right. And that the neighbor said it. So. Yeah, it's this, it's so fascinating. And then, you know, what's happening with the mom at the pool is she's like, hey, if we put this t-shirt on. Right. And if she could just like be quiet and sort of be more invisible. Stop standing in supermodel poses. <laughs> stop standing in supermodel poses and feeling, you know, worthy and lovable. Yeah. That would be better for everyone because then she won't, you know, whatever, lose some friends, which I know we'll get to, but yeah. spoiler alert there. But it's like, I know what her mom was afraid of, but what's the alternative? Pretend to be someone you're not, not love yourself, acknowledge that you're not lovable. Right. Right. And so hard. Again, you know, we're talking 1980. There weren't many kids that had weight problems in 1980, were there? Was it already becoming an obesity issue? I don't know. I used to always check that out. Every time I would get into a room, like a pool or wherever, I was almost always the fattest person there. Yeah. I would always count fat people. Oh. And yeah. like, I always wanted to be in a room that was at least 20% fat. Oh, interesting. And if it was less than 10% oh. fat, I would get like, but I would always assess a room very quickly. Yeah. And also, if I could not be the fattest, if I was the second fattest, that would be amazing. Right, right. Oh, God, the mind games we play. Oh, God, it was We break away so. from the pool scene just for a few minutes to the, the present time. And Ken, it, Ken, Kevin is on the phone with Kate because he got the part, but she is snooping the ex on the Internet. And she's saying to Kevin, maybe he just has a fat girl fetish. And Kevin says, yeah, that's a thing. With me, it was more of just a phase, though. <laughs> mm. The ex, she says, has, fab has a fabulous life, fabulous friends. She's been to Argentina. Kevin says Kate needs to stop and should be telling him how he's going to crush the audition. That's right. That's what it was. It's like, stop worrying about yourself and tell me how I'm going to crush this. Because that's Kevin, right? <laughs> it's all about him. We cut to the audition where Kevin first offends the writer and the female lead at this theater audition. Um, when they tell him, you're going to, you know, speak with Miss Miss Maine. And he said, I almost forgot this scene. I oh, God, it. he was so nervous. And he said such stupid things. But the Miss stupid Maine things. comment was oh, great. Yeah, he said Miss Maine, Miss Iowa. It could even be Miss USA. I did a USA contest once. And it's like, no, this is Olivia Maine. She's Tony nominated. Right. So he does this um, audition. He totally stinks the place up. I mean, this was a painful scene to watch. It was really hard to watch. It was really hard to watch. He was clearly out of his depth, right? And if doing just what well, he said, he's not. Like he said, I'm not an L.A. Yeah. actor wanting to do something different. I'm here for the right reasons. Yeah. But he was so clearly out of his depth. And then we go back to the pool, and he is in the water, 
yelling, Dad, Dad, watch, Dad, Dad. And Jack says, do you know how happy I was the first time he said Dad? (laughs) Kate goes and asks her friends if they want to play Mermaid, and one of the girls hands her a note and says, this is from all of us. And I died inside for her as soon as they knew that was not good. Yeah. Meanwhile, the only thing about that though that they did wrong was that note was not folded correctly. I was around in that year. I know how we folded notes. Oh, it was supposed to be folded like folded in Uh, triangle. Exactly. I was like, why wasn't that note folded right? Come on, producers. It was on a napkin. I mean, (laughs) that's true. How well could you do it? Meanwhile, uh, Kevin is yelling, watch me, watch me. But Randall has disappeared, and the parents both go off to look for him. We momentarily see Kate sitting on the side of the pool, opening the note. When Rebecca finds Randall on the other side of the pool, he's playing with a little group of black kids. And the black mom says, it's okay, I'm watching him. And Rebecca says, I'm sorry, I'm his mom and a little panicked. I'm Rebecca. Black mom says, we know who you are. If there's a white family with a black child and they don't introduce themselves to any of us, we kind of take notice of that. Mm -hmm. And Rebecca says, well, thank you for watching him. He's just not supposed to be over here. And then she says, not like that. Not like there's anything wrong with over here. I just mean I want him over where we can see him. Clearly now she's like totally feeling awkward. This is not cute. I didn't even know how awkward she was feeling because she didn't know how racist she was being. She's like, he's our kid. Yeah. Like, we're white. If you have a problem with it, that's your problem. We want our kid over in the white section because we're white. Right. Right. And she even even comes back at one point. She takes him off and then she comes back and says, look, I'm his mom. Right? Blah, blah, blah. And as she walks away, the black mom tells her, you need to find a barber who can cut black hair for those razor bumps because he's got what she thought was a rash on his neck. And as she's walking away with him, she asked him if this is why he wanted to come to this particular pool. Yeah. Remember when he was saying earlier about the diving board, I want to go to the pool with the diving board. I think it was really, I don't know if he liked this specific kid or if there was just like a nice African-American community at this pool. Because at this point, have we seen the hashtags? Every time he meets a black family, he's keeping track in this notebook. Right. He's making little marks for every black person yeah. he meets. So I'm sure that the, the other pool, because they are in such an exclusive white community, was probably a pool that he knew there were not going to be any black kids, but he knew if they went to the pool where the, with the diving board that there were other kids that were black there. And it's sort of like, you know, nobody wanted to talk about Kate's weight up front. Nobody really wants to talk about him being black. It's all a secret. So he knows it's not, it's like a forbidden topic. So he has to go to the pool with the, you know, with the right diving board or whatever. Mm -hmm. So he doesn't make his mom uncomfortable and feel bad that she's not enough. Like everyone's trying to protect everyone else's feelings. Right. And in the process, it's like everyone else is losing. And everybody wins. losing. And Mm. now we have Kevin back on the cell phone with Kate in present time again, saying it was the worst audition in the world. And Kate's sitting in the car on the other end of the call, spying on the gorgeous ex-wife. 
Kevin is accosted by teens in the Straits of Manhattan saying, hey, it's the Manny, which is the last thing he needs right now. He begs Kate to fly out because he says, I really need you right now. And she says, you'll be fine. So he hangs up and he turns around and runs directly into Olivia Maine. They spar a bit on the sidewalk and she says, want to get drink? Yeah, now, come on, L.A., and takes him into a bar to have a drink where she tells him that he really needs to go back to L.A., maybe take some classes, get some training for classical theater acting. And she says she's telling him this is a friend. And he says it feels like she's using friend wrong. Right? Mm -hmm. Then she gets the text, looks upset, slams down her drink, and says, you got the part. They think the Manny will sell tickets. And she storms out. And just at that point, they flash back to 1980 and Kevin yelling for attention from his dad, following a football into the deep end of the pool, while his parents have their back to him, and he gets in over his head. Not unlike the play Audition. I think it's beautiful. Oh, I missed that. Yeah. I mean, I didn't miss the scene, but I was like, why didn't he just get the damn football? It was a... No, he ends up, he's in over his head in the deep end, and he panics thinking he's going to drown. Well, he is definitely in over his head in this play, for sure. Which, again, it was one of their perfect cutaways. You know, they go back and forth with the scenes so much, shifting from you know, the 1980s back to current time, back and forth. And it's almost always significant of where they shift. Mm -hmm. Um, So he finally gets the rope and gets himself to the side, but he really thought he was going to drown. And it's about that time that Rebecca finds the note that the girls had given to Kate. It Mm -hmm. says, we don't want to play with you anymore. We're embarrassed to be with you. And it has a pig face drawn on it and then signed Mm -hmm. by her friends. And Rebecca shows this to Jack, who's immediately pissed. (laughs) And she says, we didn't make her wear a T-shirt. Right? And they're stewing over this when Kevin comes up and says, I almost drowned. You don't care. You never watch me. You're always too busy making sure that Kate's not eating too much and Randall's Mm -hmm. not too adopted. Mm, all the things we don't want to talk about. Yeah. And he says, meanwhile, where's Kevin? Oh, guess what? He's dead. Drought, right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Clearly dramatic already at a very young age, right? So cute. <laughs> and Jack takes him to the side and tells him, I'm sorry. I know I'm bigger than you. I should know better. I'm going to be there. I promise I'll be there for you. Jack is just the best character. I love Jack. I want Jack to be my dad. Yeah, he's amazing. (laughs) I want him to be my dad, too. Mm -hmm. He was the opposite of my dad. I did not get that one. Rebecca sees Randall scratch the bumps on his neck again, and she goes back to the black mom to ask. One of the bravest things we have seen her do in this whole show. It is. She goes back and says, but brave because she wants to do it for her son. Yeah. Right? So she goes back to say, if asked if she has the name of a barber. And she says, I do. And Becca says, I would appreciate it. They start out very formal with each other. 
Then the black mom, while she's looking for the barber's name, tells her when he gets out of the pool, you need to put lotion on him so he doesn't get ashy. And that gets Rebecca brave enough to ask if he could play with her son after school. And then she asks about the sunscreen and they all laugh. <laughs> and she says, well, you I just like, I knew he did. I knew it. <laughs> yeah. Would you tell my husband? So I really loved that exchange. Clearly, I think that's going to be a developing friendship. Yeah. And, and that she was wonderful. I that mom loved her. I loved her. So I'm hoping that we do get to see more of her and her family begin to integrate into the episodes, mm -hmm. as, you know, a friendship with Rebecca. Um, we jump then forward to the present. Kate goes into the shop that the ex owns. Crazy or brave? I don't know. Uh, crazy. crazy. No, that's just batshit crazy. Batshit crazy. It starts looking. You cannot at talk to your boyfriend's ex-wife without talking to him about it. I, you just, know, I, I know that you may start dating one of these days, and we just need to know that's on the table, okay? Yeah. Should you date someone and they have an ex-wife, you do not get to go introduce yourself. <laughs> okay? Right, right. Promise. <laughs> the ex comes out and says, oh, you're here about the job. Come on. And takes her back into the office for an interview. And Kate goes. And gets the job. And gets the job. She says, well, I haven't picked up an application yet. But they, like, totally hit it off. Of course, Kate knows all about her and her store and her business because she's been stalking her on the Internet. Well, and there's that weird moment where you don't know if she's going to say, holy shit, you're crazy, or she goes, oh, I like a girl who does her research. Yeah. But you have this moment where you're not sure where that's going. Right, right. And then she goes to Toby's to tell him, and she says, the good news is I got the job. I got a job. And she walks in, and he says, oh, that means there's bad news. Bum, bum, bum. Mm -hmm. <laughs> bum, bum, bum. And we cut back to the pool and eight-year-old Kate with Jack offering her his T-shirt. So we're kind of like dealing with Kate's issue in the present time and jumping back to dealing with Kate's issue when she was eight years old at the same time and she says mommy hates that shirt and he tells her mommy only pretends she hates the shirt because I won't let her wear it and then he tells Kate the story about how he got the shirt and tells her it's a magic t-shirt and when you wear it your enemies will only see you exactly as you want them to oh. it's magic so she puts it on and says she's going with princess and he hmm. says, Daddy already sees you that way without the shirt. Oh, stop. I, I can't know, even. I know. I know. And then he says, Your Highness. And he crowns her with sunglasses on yes. her head. Which, that is so touching. Jack is like, oh. Then that you cut back to current day, Toby's place, and he's telling her, Tell me this is not happening. Tell me this is not happening. And she says, Josie and I prefer to call it research. And he says, Josie and I, how is there even a Josie and I? Right? Right. He says, I just had to know. One of these things is not like the other. So I mm. wondered, was she fat and she got skinny? Was mm. she a terrible person? But no, she's beautiful and she thinks I'm great. Is this what you want? Do, do you want a skinny person? 
you know, she just lays it all out there for him, like all her insecurities. She just unrolled them all out there on the table. He says, no, I want to, I want a sane person, Kate. Yeah. And she says, that's not nice. And Toby finally loses it. We finally see some depth to Toby's character <laughs> because oh my god he's not perfect he loses it he can be upset yeah it was very good i liked him so much more upset i really did too he says maybe mm-hmm. i'm a little tired of being nice some stranger tells you that you think you're great and you believe her i tell you you're great and you think i'm lying why is that but isn't that the truth mm-hmm. isn't that the oh truth? totally and kate says i don't know i have a problem yeah. I have a problem. And Toby says, I get it. I empathize. She was terrible to me, Kate. She cheated and lied. She took half of my life savings. I gained 95 pounds in one year after she left me. I told my brother I was committing suicide. And he makes up a story about that. And he says, no, I take it back. I did want to commit suicide. Mm-hmm. I contemplated it a lot when I would get drunk alone. So you haven't cornered the market on problems, Kate. And by now she's kind of contrite. (laughs) Says, I'm really sorry, but my issues are not going to go away overnight, Toby. And he says, neither am I. And he goes on to tell her, Josie and I were not good together. Yeah, I think the whole, I, I think the whole thing there that was so fascinating to me is I always thought the reason he could see Kate for the beautiful girl that she is was because he'd always been fat. Yeah. And I felt very betrayed learning that he had what I call situational obesity. Like Kate and I have been fat since we were little girls, like since we were born. Like I don't have a minute of my life that I don't remember being fat. But I thought Toby was one of us. And when I found out that fairly recently he gained this 95 pounds, Mm -hmm. I was like really angry and disappointed. I'm like, oh, he's just like a regular skinny guy who just had a bad day. Yeah. Yeah. He's going to end up losing the weight. That's why he's losing the weight so quickly and why it's so much harder for Kate. Oh, I didn't even think of that, but that's true. Yeah, I had a very weird reaction to that, but I totally felt like, oh, okay. Well, it's like situational obesity doesn't count. You know, it's like when people tell me they were 100 pounds overweight, like the day that they gave birth. Right. I'm like, yeah, that doesn't count. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Cute, but no. And, you know, I kind of wanted to cut him some slack because I think in my brain I was trying to figure out if he was at least a little pudgy before he gained another 95 pounds. But 95 pounds, no way, because he's, like, look, I, like, tell, I look at everybody's weight. But I would say he's somewhere between 280 and 300 pounds. Yeah. And if he lost 100 pounds, he would not be officially fat. Yeah, for his height, that would be pretty normal. Right. The other thing I question, and I hate to break away from our episode, but I really have to question this, because I was looking pretty closely at the two of them, probably when he said the 95 pounds, and I started asking myself, have they added padding to these actors so they could start removing padding as the show goes on to show weight loss because I was looking like at the shape of their body and like in that scene especially his stomach was like really kind of rounded and I went is that padding 
is that padding? And then they're going to take off padding. And I really kind of felt a little offended even about that. Oh, that's so interesting. Well, this girl, Chrissy, um, I was looking at some pictures when I looked up her name. Yeah. I don't think she's going to be losing weight anytime soon. Right. Well, clearly, no, she's not a skinny actress, but they, it looks to me like they added padding to her so that they hmm. could start making it look like there's weight loss. I taught, I spoke on some earlier episodes of this, which I know we haven't had a chance to hear yet because we're still getting these up on iTunes, but, um, I was also a little annoyed that she looks exactly like Melissa McCarthy. And it's like, are they typecasting fat women now? Do they all look like Melissa McCarthy? Because she was the oh, first obese so woman funny. on TV. You know? That's very funny. Yeah, I kind of went there. So anyway. Um, I have to say it is nice for me. I'm not a big Melissa McCarthy fan. Yeah. But it is nice to see girls that look like me on TV. Right. It's not something I saw growing up. Oh, for and sure. And so it's fascinating. Because it used to be if they were going to have a fat character on TV, it was a skinny person with full fat padding on. Right. Which to me is almost as offensive as somebody imitating a different race rather than hiring oh, someone of that race. A hundred percent. And here's the thing is like, they, like Kate is absolutely pretty. Right. And the little girl, the little Kate is absolutely pretty and they're playing her as pretty. Like they're not, she's not an ugly, cause I saw fat people on TV, but they were always ugly fat people. Yeah. So I knew you could be fat and ugly. Right. But I didn't know that you could be pretty and overweight. Right. And that's what to me, she is so interesting about seeing her. You're right. You're right about that. She doesn't have a weird wart or a hair on her face or ugly clothes. She's like well-dressed. Yeah. So. Interesting. Anyway, we come back to Kevin now leaving Kate a message on her phone telling her he got the part. And he said, you're the one who tells me how great I am and you're not here. And then <laughs> you see him like all alone in this gorgeous Manhattan apartment. He needs a lot more therapy. He does. He does. Um, then we cut to Randall and his family at the public school to go see their daughter in Snow White. And this is quite a school. I don't think it's a public school. It looks like a private school. And again, we see the contrast between Randall's life and the life his dad led. Mm. As they're walking through these school grounds and, and William is like looking at this like, my gosh. And um, Randall's trying to tell him, yeah, well, they have chickens and they have goats. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which made me laugh. Um, but then we get into the play. And as his daughter says the line, I am Princess Snow White, the audience chuckles. And Randall starts to look around uncomfortably. And the other child on stage acting as Prince Charming says his lines and says something about never seeing a maiden, a beautiful maiden so fair. And again, the audience chuckles, including Beth and William. You know, they're mm -hmm. kind of getting a kick out of the play. But you can see by the look on Randall's face, he's not comfortable with this. Right. Right. Because he thinks the audience is being amused at the fact that there's a black Snow White. 
You can clearly see it on his face. That's his interpretation. I'm not sure that was even true because what I saw was an audience like just eating up these little kids doing this play and, you know, taking pictures with their cell phones or recording it. I think it's just showing that contrast again. It is, and I think it's showing the yeah the con the conflict that Randall has. Mm-hmm. Right later, having wine, William comes in to talk to Rand Randall and says to him, "It seems I've offended you somehow. You think I'm judging you, and you need to know if I judged you, you'd get a high score." Oh, and um, Randall breaks it down for him. He tells him, hey, while you were out demonstrating for busing, I was a little kid living in Bethel Park, Pennsylvania, possibly the whitest place on earth. And he tells him, I had a little notebook. And every time I met a new black person, I put a little mark in my notebook. And every time I met a black man, I wondered if he was maybe possibly my father. Mm. And he couldn't even say this stuff out loud because he loved his white father and his white mother. And then just felt like a betrayal. I know. And, you know, that almost takes me right back to trying to protect my mother from not wanting her to to know that I know she's fat. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's like he doesn't want his his white parents to know that he knows he's black. Right. (laughs) Really? They might catch on. tries to protect them from this, Mm -hmm. you know. And he says, I'm a strong, successful black man. The fact my daughter doesn't find anything unusual about her playing Snow White, that's the whole idea. Mm-hmm. Which I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. And he said, I don't know everything, William. I don't. But I wouldn't change a thing about my parents. And I don't apologize for anything about it. William says, I will. I'm so deeply sorry I did everything wrong by you. And you are doing everything right. And you can see that Randall deeply needed to hear that. To have yeah, his biological sure. dad. His dad's approval. Yeah. Well, saying, admit. By the way, can we talk about what a saint his wife is? I love Beth. Oh, my God. She is like, there's a man who like moved into her house. Yeah. And she is just like letting her husband go through his thing. Going through his stuff. But remember early on, she had that talk with Randall about this is how my husband is. And he will do everything to try to do right by you. Mm -hmm. Better be worth it. (laughs) Kind of talk. Yeah. Yeah. She's fantastic though. And um, at this point, the doorbell rings and it's Kevin, Uncle Kevin back in L.A., probably because he needs the reassurance of his family at this point. He Last we saw him, he was so lonely in his apartment. And Randall introduces William and then hesitantly says, my biological father. It's kind mm. of a big deal that, you know, he said it and introduced William as his father. Um, and then as Kevin goes off to join the girls, William says, was that the Manny? And a big fan. I love that show. <laughs> I got to get an autograph, which I thought was hilarious. And mm, so cute. At the end of the show, we are back to 1980 at the pool, and all three kids are laying on top of Jack. Jack kicked back against Rebecca, saying, is now a bad time to bring up having another kid. And she pulls his hair. 
And it's just this pleasant scene of like comfort and security all around. Mm. You know, the previous episodes up to this one, we've always had like this big surprise twist at the end. And this one we didn't. We mm. just got that comfort of family and all three kids being together. Right. The big three. Yeah. Yeah. And clearly this whole episode was about seeing the, the interactions and in what each of the triplets faced as kids that they're still grappling with as adults. You know, like Kate with her weight issues, Kevin with not being good enough. And, right, and not being visible, like he has to right. be the manny to be seen. Right, like, right. And Randall, a black man with guilt about having white privilege. And uh, and his intelligence. I think he has a lot of guilt about how smart he oh, is. That's, that's true. He was like way brighter than mm-hmm. everybody else. And he tried to hide that for a while as a kid. Right. Yeah. So Yeah, those issues that had pretty much fully surfaced by the time they were eight are the issues of their life still, yeah. which is fascinating. Yeah. Isn't it? They, they like created these stories in their mind when they were kids and their brain is still playing the same stories for them. Same tape. Yep. 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 And they're just not even owning their stories. I think we'll see them come around to that. Owning their stories, recognizing them. Mm-hmm. But I love, I love the way that they kind of demonstrated that through this whole episode. Right. Yeah. And I think the thing too is the parents were clearly doing their best. Oh, yeah. Like at no point do you feel like the parents are neglectful or bad people, even when the mom is sort of racist you still know she's doing her best and she loves her kids. And that was the information she had. Right. Right. So there's no, um, it's like, there's nowhere to put the blame. There's no, you know, it's not like you can say, Oh, they had bad parents who didn't love them. Mm -hmm. It's not like they aren't smart. Like I think it's just such a great example of how complex life is. And how you can lead all three of them by any objective measure are leading like perfectly great lives. Mm-hmm. You know, there's nothing terrible. They're pretty privileged on the scale of things. And yet, at least from my perspective, you can see how much work they could do to have an even better life and to be even happier. Right. Right. And, you know, it's just, I think it's just the normal stuff that goes on the exchange between siblings and the issues each one has that they carry forward with them i mean don't we all have that unless you're an only child and then it's a whole different thing then you got a different then you got the same (laughs) stuff with cousins yeah it's the (sighs) same stuff with cousins or it's the same stuff except it's all projected on the fact that you were alone growing up right 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 (laughs) (laughs) so um This is great. I really thank you, Angela, for doing this episode with me today. Such a fun show to talk about and so rich with, you know, characters and experiences. It is. It is. And it's been a pleasure. 
I would love to hear what all of you think of This Is Us, what moments in the last episode you've watched really hit home, or if you want to share comments about what we've said on some of these episodes, send me some feedback. My email is joanne, J-O-A-N-N, at joannethelifecoach.com. And you can find me on Twitter at joanne underscore lifecoach. My website is joannethelifecoach.com. And I also have two more podcasts. I'm the host and producer of Weight Coach Podcast and Widowcast Podcast. Solo podcasts that I do as a certified life coach and weight loss coach. If you're widowed or know a widow, you can grab my book as a Kindle download on Amazon. The book is titled Widowed, and it will be released in print in bookstores next year. Publisher is Difference Press, and Angela Loria is with us today from Difference Press. Angela, do you want to give a website for anyone interested in finding out more about doing a book? Absolutely. It's theauthorincubator.com. Perfect. So until next week, keep it going and keep it real, people, because this is us. <laughs>